Amen. Good morning. Let me say that one more time. Good morning. You know, I've always thought that greeting was really weird. I'm not really a morning person. Anyone else? Morning is not really my thing. Uh, just because I have my eyes open doesn't necessarily mean that I'm awake. I, I'm not like just, I don't just wake up like this. All right, this is really what I look like on a, on a morning, right? It's like, I'm not so cute. I'm getting up. I'm trying to wake up. And it's, it, there's, it's not really a, a pretty face. And, and it, it's not like it gets any better. You know, when I wake up, it's like I've got this face. And then all of a sudden I turn and there's this morning breath. Anyone else? It's, my wife says I have an especially pungent version of this, um, but, but I should probably be wearing like a mask when I go to sleep. I, I, I don't always do that, but it's just like mornings are not going well. I don't look pretty. I've got this weird look. I've got this morning breath and, and I'm just disoriented. So I just try to, you know, get out of bed, you know, it's, it's dark and I just get out and there's just, it's just light and it's, it's just, I, I can't, I can't tell kind of what's going on. And so, um, nothing really seems to help. I try to figure out, you know, what can I do to wake up? And so for some of us, coffee, right? Some of us, we're just dousing ourselves with coffee. It's like one cup is never enough. So I take another cup and then I take another cup and that still just doesn't work. So we're just end up just kind of lying there just like, I don't know what to do. Especially for me, I don't even like coffee. So like the highlight of my morning is I try to drink tea and it's like, you know, if you think about tea, it's just like the, it's hot water with some like twigs in it and some flowers. And it's like, if that's the, the highlight of your morning, it, 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 it's not a good time of the day. So we're just here and we're just struggling, you know, and there's just like this lack of motivation. You know, you just like, you're, you're about to go and you realize here's the face that you have as you're about to go to work. It's just like, this is what my morning has been like, and now I got to go to work, you know, and, and, and it's just hard. They're like, I, I don't really oftentimes experience morning as good. Now, I know there are a few of you who just love mornings, right? Raise your hand. A few of you. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, you know, 4 a.m. I love this. You know what? If you ask me, you're weird and you don't count, all right? Like, who actually wants to get up that early? Who's actually doing something productive in that moment? Here's the reality for most of us. I know a few of you morning. For most of us, this is just morning, all right? We're the turtle and we're just, we're just, we're falling, you know, in, in my, in my opinion, the only good thing about mornings is that they don't last forever. And so therefore, I would say there is no such thing as a good morning. We shouldn't say it. It doesn't actually make sense. When I think about good morning, I'm also reminded of Good Friday. Any of you ever heard of Good Friday? It's, it's, this, it's this term that we use to describe the day when Jesus died, and, and, and I was thinking a lot about that this week, and why do we call it Good Friday? Because it was a dark time. If you put yourself, if you don't fast forward and you put yourself in that place where the person that you had hope in was, was, was being crucified, you know, it, it was the worst thing that could, that could be imagined. It was unimaginable. It was a dark time. There was disappointment all over the place. And so we call it Good Friday, but in that moment when Jesus was in that place, it, it didn't feel good to them. No one was thinking about resurrection on Friday. In fact, no one was really even thinking about resurrection after those next few days, even on Sunday. No one wakes up in the morning thinking and anticipating resurrection. I mean, who wakes up and does that? And, and, and I was thinking about that this, this week. I think that's what makes Easter so surprising. At the moment that they least expected it, 
They encountered the miracle of all miracles. I was looking at all these passages in the Gospels. The Gospels are like the, the place in the Bible where it's telling the story of Jesus. And I noticed that each Gospel, even though they include different elements, they all focus in on the fact that it was happening, this, this resurrection happened in the morning. In Matthew, it says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. In Mark, it says very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise. It's like saying in the morning, something happened. Luke said on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. And John, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. All of a sudden, at this moment when no one was really expecting much, maybe they were just about to put the coffee on. Something happened. Here's how Mark puts it. And, and they all say it a little bit different, differently. But Mark says ver, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. They weren't celebrating. They were freaking out. What is going on? Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And it was this moment, even as they're like arriving to that, they're, they're confused. What is going on? Could it get any worse? Now the body of, of the person who we are following is gone. And I was looking at that, that passage. It says on the same day, once Jesus resurrected, there were these two men who were walking. They were on a journey towards Emmaus, away from Jerusalem. For seven miles, they're walking. And they had just heard that Jesus had risen. And, and they're just dismayed. Luke 24, 17 says they were sad. And Jesus shows up. And they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And he says, why are you so sad? And they're like, we don't get it. We don't get it. Don't you know what's been going on? Haven't you heard all the commotion? Haven't you heard the darkness that we have entered into? All of this stuff has happened. And now we heard that the body is gone. And, and, and these, these women have gone and looked and they can't find it. And so they're dismayed. And so they're just not, they're not expecting anything. So Jesus is like, oh, oh, you who are so slow to believe, do you not understand? And then he explains how this was a culmination of everything that had been promised in the Old Testament. But they weren't expecting it. During the morning of their greatest need, they received the greatest miracle. But imagine if resurrection never happened. Imagine if it never happened just for a second. Without the resurrection, God's story of rescue throughout scripture, it would end as, a, as really as a tragedy. Without a resurrection, our world is left spinning out of control. Without the resurrection, all you have is failure. Without the resurrection, we cannot have faith in God. We cannot have faith in miracles. The only option is to doubt. It's to be skeptical. It is to worry. It is to be anxious. Without a resurrection, our world shrinks. And we get stuck in materialism and, and naturalism and moralism. But these modes never satisfy us. Without resurrection, we are sunk. I mean, who can, who can we believe if, if even God cannot keep God's promises? Who then is there to believe? Without resurrection, the end of it all is death. Because without a resurrection, what you see is what you get. Without resurrection, there is nothing else to hope for besides the few years we are given on this earth. So we make the most of it. 
Without a resurrection, we're all forced to live with a nearsighted perspective. We would be, we're forced into like a spiritual nearsightedness. What do I mean by spiritual nearsightedness? Here's what I mean. A spiritual nearsightedness is when you start to believe that all of reality is confined into what you can see at any moment. Spiritual nearsightedness is when the only thing that you, that you can pay attention to, the only thing that seems to matter in your life is the thing that's immediately in front of you. When you struggle with that, if you've ever been in that place, when you struggle with spiritual nearsightedness, you struggle to see the full picture. You can't see the long game. You can't see the God stuff on the side and and what God has been doing in the past and what he's about to do in the horizon. All you see is the traffic jam and you see the long line of cars and you see the difficulty. And you can't see the thing that's above there. You can't see the thing that's ahead. When we're spiritually short-sighted, our temporary circumstances begin to control us. I think we've all been there. James 1, 6 describes that experience as like being like, like waves of the sea, tossed and turned in every way because of the wind. When you're stuck in what is just in front of you, just the thing that's coming next, when you're stuck there, you have no vision for your future. The future is to be feared. Now that's all, that's all fine when things are going well, right? When, when, you, when things seem to be going nicely, but what about when things turn sour? What, what do you do when you, when you get hit with 2020? And what do, what do we do when we get hit with 2021? If, if you're nearsighted, you can't get past it. You get stuck in the same place The future, that's when it starts to really feel scary because it's unknown. The future becomes something to be feared. Without the resurrection, we don't just lose sight of the future. We start to fear the future because all we can focus on are the tangible things that are are in front of us. That's all we can think about. We try to numb ourselves to the hard stuff in our lives. Church, it's hard to see the goodness of God amidst the pain of humanity, isn't it? If we're just going to be honest, spiritual sicknesses are much more complicated than physical pandemics. I mean, who who can make the vaccine for the soul? Who can make that? And where do we go to get it? What, What website do we sign up for for that deeper thing that we need? So we try to avoid our pain. I try to bury the painful feelings inside of me. I look the other way. We go on vacations. We buy more stuff. We sell more stuff. We work more. We drink more. We play more. We invest in more entertainment. We get a bigger screen. All in an effort to really avoid the real pain that is not just around us, but it's in us. In a world without resurrection, we are left in the darkness of the moment. It's a world where evil conquers the good. It is a tragedy, where pain is more powerful than joy, where life only leads to death. There is no purpose. There is no order. Life is just happenstance. It's just good luck. I hope you make it through. But church, what if there is a resurrection? And what if seeing life through the lens of resurrection gives us the clearest and fullest picture of our reality? I think believing in the resurrection 
is like putting on a new pair of prescription glasses when everything else was blurry, when, when you were struggling in that nearsightedness, and it turns that nearsightedness into perfect vision. I think our entire existence looks different if Jesus rose from the grave. Because if Jesus really has the capacity to turn that death into life, then God is doing something much bigger than what is simply in front of us, much bigger than what we simply can just see right now. If resurrections are possible, then death isn't the end. The Bible says that's exactly what God did on Easter morning. And it's also shocking. Because the resurrection flips all the expectations around. You have all these rules and suddenly something different happens. Something changes. It meant the way to overcome pain isn't to avoid pain, but it's to go through pain. The way to overcome the power of death isn't to avoid death, but it's to destroy the power of death by using death against itself. That's what the resurrection is. If resurrection is real, then there is much more going on than, than what, it, what at first meets the eye. It means our whole world is much more mysterious. Something else is happening underneath it all. I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I know some of you have read that book. You got to really read the whole story to fully appreciate it. But I'll give you a one-minute summary His book is a story of God through the lens of an alternate universe of talking animals and and magic and, and there's all sorts of things going on. And in his story, that good, heroic, powerful, unbeatable uh, lion, his name is Aslan, he's killed. Aslan dies so that his people don't have to. And in this moment, the evil witch... She thought she had won because for a little while that lion laid there on that table without any movement and without any heartbeat. So she thought she won, but the witch's downfall was that she didn't have the full perspective. Here is how C.S. Lewis puts it in his book. He says, though the evil witch knew the deep magic, there is a deeper magic still which she did not know. Her knowledge only goes back to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back, Into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, he says the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. What if the resurrection of Jesus, what if in that moment God grabs a hold of death and he starts working death backwards? If God indeed did that, then that means evil does not have the final word. It means God has the power to make every one of God's promises come true. Resurrection means God will win because God has already won. It means Satan is already in checkmate. We are simply just moving the final pieces in place. Church, that is what we believe Easter is all about. It's a victory. Resurrection... it just means, it means God is the victor. It means it's the inauguration of God's new kingdom. Something new has begun since Jesus has rose from the dead. It is the decisive event in all of history. It means God's work has been launched 
on earth as it is in heaven. This means we don't have to try and escape from the world. Rather, Easter gives us boldness and compassion to minister in this world. It means followers of Jesus have a part in in God's mission of, of seeing the death around them and bringing life into that situation. This is watershed stuff. It's something we shouldn't just assume. Christians believe the resurrection is... It is really the central point of everything. It's when all the ancient promises of God spoken in the Old Testament have come true at last, and they have. Resurrection is the ultimate creation event. It's the completion of Abraham's call. It is the exodus of all exoduses. It is the arrival into an even better promised land than Canaan. It is when David's unshakable kingdom is established. It's the long-awaited return from exile. Now all nations can be blessed with the life of God because Jesus has come and Jesus has won. Resurrection means God's time is now. 2021. What is it, April 4th today? God's time is now. It means God is at work today. That's why Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I want to send you. Church, that is the morning miracle we, that, we, that we believe in. It's the morning miracle that we proclaim, we celebrate this morning. For 2,000 years, the, the, all, all the church, throughout the global church, throughout all the ages, we have, as Christians, have proclaimed, and we do it again in 2021, my Redeemer lives. Evil is not ultimately victorious. Our enemies will be conquered. Fears can be overcome. And one day God will take all of our brokenness and all of our sorrow and all of our pain and all of our death and God's gonna turn it into abundant joy and love and safety and peace. That is the gospel. So that's a big deal, even in the morning especially in the morning, because the the moment that we least expected it, this happens. Even before we had our coffee and even before we had our tea, even before we were truly awake or ready for it, God did that right in that moment that we needed it. And so I want, before we go, I just want to give you three results of the resurrection. If, If the resurrection is true and if it is real, which I believe that it is, What does that mean for you and me? Three things before we go. Number one, because of God's resurrection, your past mistakes can be covered by God's grace. That's a big deal. It means there isn't condemnation. It means you don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend. It means God takes all of that and he pushes this grace upon you and he never holds those things against you. Jesus' death and resurrection means all the condemnation of all the sin, all the brokenness, all the mess-ups that you and I have made have been put onto Jesus, and they have been paid for by Jesus. Jesus no longer holds it against us. Therefore, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where the Apostle Paul has an entire chapter dedicated to the importance of the resurrection. He's preaching this message. 
Listen to how he starts this chapter. This is what he says. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that Jesus was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Then Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 at one time, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And then he says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and God's grace toward me was not in vain. He's saying, I am the weirdo. I was the one who didn't deserve this. I was the broken one. I was the murderer. I was the one that no one expected to come in. I have no place here. And yet even God came to me. Church, what is true about Paul is also true about you. None of us deserve this. It's unlikely that I'm here. It's unlikely that you're sitting here. How could this be? This is the beauty of the gospel. He comes in and he takes you. I know you're the least likely person. I know no one would have thought this could happen to you, that this faith would burst up in your soul, that you would be changed by God's power. I know no one could have predicted it, but that's what God does. That's what God loves to do. Don't sit here thinking that's a good message for all the religious people, but it's not a message for me because the message of the gospel is that it's for all of us. You can live for Jesus. You can be a follower of Jesus if you have not Become a follower of Jesus. I'd love to talk with you today. Don't leave here without becoming a part of God's team. Number one, your past mistakes can be covered in God's grace. Number two, you are not alone in your present situation. If Jesus rose from the dead, then Jesus is alive. Then Jesus is alive. That makes sense of, of Old Testament passages like Deuteronomy 31.8, which says the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Way back in the Old Testament, God said, I won't leave you when things get difficult. But that'd be impossible for Jesus to fulfill if Jesus were dead. But Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, you are never alone. You you might be isolated, but you are never alone. A resurrection means our God is alive. He's near to us in every moment. As God's word says in James 4, 8, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. In the book of Revelation, God says to his church, knock and I'll open the door. Seek and you will find. Ask and I will answer. Number one, your past mistakes can be covered by God's grace. Number two, you are not alone in your present situation. And number three, because of God's resurrection, your future in Christ is better than you could imagine. Oh, I'm just getting started right here. Give me a few more minutes. Listen to how the book of Revelation describes the new heaven and the new earth, which will be the future reality of all Christians forever. This is not fantasy, people. This is reality coming. Listen to this description. These are some of the words, the last words of the Bible. It is a picturesque description of eternity with God. If you're a follower of Jesus. Revelation 21, verse 22 through 22, verse 5. Here's what it says. Just listen. Mm. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring it into it, the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's going to be perfect place. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. You don't got to deal with morning breath anymore. They will need no light of, of lamp or the sun for the Lord. God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Church, that's all possible if resurrection is real. Because if death isn't the end, then, then there is an eternal life that you can have after your temporary life on earth ends. It means heaven isn't just a fantasy, it's a real thing. Perhaps our longing to live in a place like that, our longing to be safe, our longing to have that, it's not just an accident. Maybe God put it inside each of us because that's what we were made for. The passage describes heaven as a sort of garden, but it's not the common garden you might have in your backyard. It's more like a national park covering hundreds and thousands of acres of mountains and lakes and prairies and Magnificent waterfalls and flower-carpeted meadows. The whole world will be like a garden, a place of unimaginable beauty. I don't know what you think of when you, when you start to envision a beautiful garden or a place of natural beauty, but I think of the Swiss Alps. I think of the Hawaiian Islands, the wheat fields of Kansas. I think of the Smoky Mountains. I think of the Grand Canyon. I think of striking sunsets and botanical gardens and underwater reefs and beautiful creatures who are crawling and flying and swimming. Our resurrected earth will be all of that and better. One day our new earth will be resurrected into Eden 2.0. You thought the seven wonders of the world were good? Just wait till you see what happens when God puts his resurrection power into the soil and the trees and even the sky. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of humanity can even begin to imagine. Look, you, you, you can't even put the full glasses on yet. What God has prepared for those who love him. As Ecclesiastes 3.10 says, this is a redemption of the morning. God's mercies are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. When we Christians imagine our promised glorious futures, our faces should light up, our smiles should shine, and our eyes should twinkle with wonder because it's going to be a revealing. It's going to be a, a shocking unveiling of the likes we have never seen. Our future in Christ is just going to be so fun. I like how Stephen Whitmer describes it in his book, Eternity Changes Everything. We're almost done. He says, I remember waking one morning several years ago in a cottage in the Antrim coast of Northern Ireland. 
and walking to a tiny village perched on the edge of the Irish Sea. wonder if any of you have ever been there. The sun was rising over vivid green fields, sheep grazing, the brisk wind gusting in my face, and I could see the wild ocean away on my left. I was so invigorated and delighted, I began jumping up and down. I couldn't think what else to do. He asks, has this world ever taken your breath away? God is inviting us to imagine what God has in store for his followers, to imagine the beauty of this world multiplied 1,000 times and all its badness removed. He says, let's untether our imaginations and let them soar. Think of the keenest pleasures you've ever experienced in this world. Now imagine them heightened and purified and prolonged forever. Colors will be more vivid, the taste of food richer, and the jokes even funnier. By the way, does anyone know what the blanket said to the bed in the morning? Said, don't worry about it, I got you covered. (laughs) And you say, Mike, I don't want to have to deal with those dad jokes anymore. You won't have to in heaven. Even the jokes are going to be better. Somehow a steak will be more a steak, a flower will be more a flower, a friend will be more a friend. Resurrection Sunday means we can approach our future not with cowardice, but with joy. Because our God is a resurrecting God. If God did it once, God can do it again. Despite all our current questions... Despite all of our doubts, all of our fears, all of our failures, all of our insecurities, I've got them too. Despite all of that, death has lost and Jesus has won. So we can say the best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup. But it's knowing that you know that you know that resurrection is real and Jesus is alive. Therefore, your past mistakes can be covered by God's grace. You are not alone in your present situation, and your future is better than you could imagine. All of those spiritual realities are true because Jesus rose again on Easter morning. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to have the lead worshipers. They're going to just begin to play, and and I just want to read to you this description before we just hear God's word sung to us. And it's a description of, from Randy Elkhorn. He's a Christian author. And he's trying to describe Resurrection Day. What is Resurrection Day going to be like? That day when, when finally all of us are with Jesus. When we're in that future uh, moment. When all of that's happening. What's it going to be like for us? And I want us to end just by imagining, kind of transporting you to that world. He, he tries to put it to words tries to catch a flavor of it in his novel called Safely Home. So it's just his rendering, his imagination. But I want you just to listen to it. It's a beautiful thing. It will take me just a couple minutes. What's it going to be like? And then we're going to sing. And so it might help if you just close your eyes or just listen. But I love this description. It's, what, it's what's coming for the Christian because of resurrection. Here's how he describes it. He says, on resurrection day, the battle cry of a hundred million warriors erupted from one end of the heavens to the other. There was war on that narrow isthmus between heaven and hell, a planet called earth. The air was filled with the din of combat, the wails of oppressors being slain and the joyous celebrations of the oppressed, rejoicing that at long last their liberators have arrived. Some of the warriors sang as they slew. 
swinging swords to who the oppressors with one arm and with the other pulling victims up onto their horses. The long arm of the king moved with swiftness and power. The hope of a war that kept the sufferers sane was vindicated at last. No child of heaven was touched by the sword this day, for the universe could not tolerate the shedding of one more drop of righteous blood. Heaven released fury, earth bled fear. It was the old world's last night. And then at the lion's nod, Michael raised his mighty sword and brought it down upon that great dragon. His muscles bulging at the strain, Michael picked up his evil twin and cast the writhing beast into a great pit. That beast, which was the mauler of men, the hunter of women, the predator of children, the persecutor of the righteous, he shrieked in terror. The vast army of heaven's warriors cheered. The battalions of Karis gazed upon the decimated face of the earth, the scorched soil of the old world. Nothing had survived the fires of this holocaust of things. Nothing but the king's word, his people, and the deeds of gold and silver and precious stones they had done for him during the long night since Eden's twilight. So soldiers began to drop their weapons. The crippled tossed their crutches and ran. The blind opened their eyes and saw. They pointed and shouted and danced, throwing their arms around each other for each knew that any, any moment now left on earth, now it's all under the king's blood and now we could be fully trusted. The king gathered children upon his lap and he wiped away each one of their tears. The sound of a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and long peals of thunder, shouted, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. All eyes then turned to the king. The entire universe fell silent, anticipating his words. I will turn the wasteland into a garden, the king announced. I will bring here the home I have made for you, my bride. There will be a new world, a life-filled, blue-green world, greater than all that has ever been. The shadowlands are mine again, and I shall transform them. My kingdom has come, my will shall be done. Winter is over, spring is here at last. And a great roar rose from the vast crowd. The king raised his hands. And upon seeing those scars, the cheering crowds remembered the unthinkable cost of this great celebration. So warriors slapped each other on the back. The deliverers hugged their deliverers, enjoying a great reunion with those once parted from them. The multitudes innumerable began to sing the song for which they had been made, a song that echoed off a trillion planets and reverberated in a quadrillion places in every nook and cranny of the creation's expanse. Audience and orchestra and choir all blended into one great symphony, one grand cantata of rhapsodic melodies and sustaining harmonies. All were participants. Only one was an audience, the audience of one. The smile of the king's approval swept through the choir like fire across dry wheat fields. When the song was complete, the audience of one stood and raised his great arms, then clapped his scarred hands together in thunderous applause, shaking ground and sky, jarring every corner of the cosmos. His applause went on and on, unstopping and unstoppable. Every one of them realized something with undiminished clarity in that instant. They wondered why they had not seen it all along. <laughs> what they knew in that moment, in every fiber of their beings, 
was that this person in this place were all they had ever longed for and ever would. Christian, that is the power of resurrection at work for your future. Let's thank God and just listen. Let the lead worshipers sing to you now as we worship and we praise God for what he's done. Amen. Would you remain standing for a benediction? Hear these words from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.